0: Here's the question, how do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role, build the confidence and competence to lead your team effectively and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization? That's the question, and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders. I'm a leadership coach, a mom of three, a coffee lover, and a travel enthusiast. Stick around because in this show you'll learn how to think, communicate, and act to become a confident, high-performing leader people love to work with. Let's go. Welcome to this episode of The Manager Track. We're going to talk about how not to micromanage. Micromanagement is a widespread disease I dare to say. In fact, survey results range from saying about 60% of employers up to about 80% of employers have at one point in their career been managed by a micromanager. Now, if you feel like, whoa, no, I'm not at all a micromanager, uh, I'm going to skip this episode, then hold on a second. Because even if you don't consider yourself being a micromanager, this episode will still be of value to you. Because regardless of where you fall on that scale of micromanager to absentee manager, which would be the complete opposite and also not advisable, What I'm sharing in this podcast will help you become more aware of your personal style, but also more effective in your leadership style. And if you are led or have been led by a micromanager or you have peers who are micromanagers, then this comes with extra bonus value. So let's start by looking at a few symptoms. So how can you detect whether or not you are a micromanager? Here are some of the things that come out of studying the topic, but also coaching people who are, have either been labeled as micromanager and then as a result of that come to me to be coached or clients who are managed by a micromanager and have been looking for guidance. Um, so let's start that list. So one of the things that you might identify with if you're a micromanager is that you think you can do it best. Your way is the right way and if you did it, everything would be faster and easier. You also think that you're usually right. So your opinion is usually the right one. Your approach is the right one. The way that you go about it, the way that you write, your communication style is the right one. And you're right on this thing too. Another symptom would be that you follow up and check in with people a lot. So it's not that team members give you updates, but instead you notice that you are checking in with them a lot. So you might ask them for status updates quite often. You might be sending random messages to ask them where they stand on a certain project or what's going on or whether they have responded to an email. You might also find yourself stepping in to help out your team members, even if they don't ask for your help. So now let me make this a little bit more concrete. So some of the specific actions that micromanagers might take is to send people on their team calendar reminders, reminding them of deadlines to make sure they don't forget recurring or upcoming to do's. So you're kind of inserting yourself in their calendar by sending reminders. You might also jump in and group emails or where you're CC'd or on a chat that you're in, even if the email or the chat is not particularly addressed to you or even if the topic being discussed is not actually your responsibility, meaning the execution of this task is with someone on your team, but you feel really compelled to respond to an email, maybe because your employee hasn't responded in a couple of hours or just because you know the answer and you think you're helping out. So you might jump in and answer for them. You might also give really directive instructions on a task. So you're delegating not the what, but the what and the how. So you're being very specific in the vast majority of things that you delegate. You might also notice how you feel compelled and actually do correct people's grammar in emails or you're rephrasing their sentences. They might share, let's say, a Google Doc with you and ask you to review it. Uh, And instead of you commenting on certain things to share your thoughts, you're actually going with track changes, rewriting whole sentences or adding commas. You might be commenting on their design or the color choice. And I'm not saying those aren't adding value. And of course, if the color is off from your brand, that should be mentioned. But you might find yourself doing this more than you probably should. You constantly find yourself rewriting things, commenting on design stuff or on grammar, when you also know deep down that that's probably not how you should be spending your time. And another symptom is often that micromanagers don't like to delegate. So they like holding on to the work. They think it's just faster or easier and better done if they did it themselves. And as a result, they only delegate a few things and definitely keep on to anything that's high stake or high visibility. Now, if you're truly a micromanager, you might have just heard me list all these things and thought, "Whoa, but, and there might be a good reason for you to do this. I get it. The problem is that you contributing that way or inserting yourself that way may make the work product better. But the longer term impact on your leadership reputation and your team members' is significantly more negative than the little benefit or little gain or uplift in quality or speed of executing a task that you gained by inserting yourself. And so let's look at that impact, the longer term impact that micromanagement has on people. So even though that in the moment you might think you're absolutely right and it's the right thing to do to correct and to give that feedback or insert yourself or step in or not delegate... The long-term implications are that people will feel a loss of autonomy. They lose confidence. They're uncomfortable sharing their opinions. They feel demotivated. There's a loss of creativity because they don't want to do it anymore. They're checking their brains at the door. They understand that in order to satisfy you, they just have to execute exactly as you say. They have to be a good soldier. Stop thinking. Stop being creative. Stop going the extra mile. Stop trying to do a different approach. Just execute exactly as you say. And for most people, that is a complete loss of autonomy and creativity. Uh, It demotivates, and as a result, there's often a high turnover on a team where there's a micromanager present. It is also going to create a lack of performance, because as you can see, Innovation will drop, the overall quality will drop because people won't go the extra mile, they'll just execute. And there is often also a bottleneck in place where high-stake projects aren't progressing enough because the manager, the micromanager, is too heavily involved in the day-to-day operations and therefore doesn't have enough time to really dedicate to these uh, higher stake or more strategic projects. In addition, because they need to sign off on a lot of things or wanna be involved in the decision-making process and review things that go out, maybe even including emails, right? Wanting to be CC'd on all emails or rewriting emails, it creates a bottleneck on the team. And as a result, team members may uh, not move as fast, they may miss deadlines and so forth. So as you can see, the cost of being a micromanager is heavy. It really is a bit of a disease. Now I'm going to talk about where it often comes from because micromanagers don't get up in the morning thinking, I'm going to be a micromanager today. I'm going to really annoy and frustrate my employees. That is not their intention. They really intend to do a great job and to perform well and to help their team members. It's just that the actions that they take then are being perceived as micromanager, which are frustrating and demotivating to team members. So summing up all the the impact that micromanaging has is that the person itself, so in, in this case, it might be you, if you're a micromanager, you're not going to level up. Micromanagers are not the first ones to get promoted because their teams aren't performing for the exact reasons that I just talked about. But also because oftentimes they have a reputation of being a micromanager. Now, that might be tolerated in their job by the organization. They may even be given a coach or leadership training, which is probably the first and the best thing to do. And so the senior leadership is hoping for a turnaround of that situation. But in the meantime micromanagers will miss a career opportunities growth opportunities and at the same time because they're not delegating enough and they're not coaching their team members they're not empowering them and encouraging them to take ownership and to solve problems by themselves they're also not up leveling the team members so in the best case scenario things are stagnant everyone's just staying the same and in the worst case scenario it's actually spiraling downward. So the micromanager is failing in terms of their performance because they're prioritizing the wrong tasks and not delivering on the actual important key, more strategic initiatives. And the team is failing because of the lack of engagement, the lack of motivation. Oftentimes also their confidence completely spirals downward. And then there's usually also a high turnover rate as a result of that. Now, as I said, and listening to this, it's probably pretty obvious that no one chooses that option. No one wants that for themselves. No one wants to just be stagnant or even fail. And no one wants their team to suffer. Yet micromanagers continue to get up every morning and go to work and micromanage their team. So let's talk about some of the root causes of why micromanagers do what they do. As a micromanager, you might not trust that others can do a decent enough job. Now, this lack of trust could come from past personal or professional experiences where you might have been disappointed. And as a result, you just don't trust anymore. It could also be deeper rooted in childhood experiences. And then that leads to sort of a lack of trust in relationships as an adult. Another root cause could be the fear that your reputation will be tarnished by employees not delivering up to your standards. So a lot of micromanagers have pretty high standards on themselves but also on others. And 80% is just not good enough. So in, in doing it different than they would is often not good enough. So there is this fear of how the work product of the team and therefore their responsibility is being perceived by other members of the organization, maybe by senior leadership, maybe even by clients. And because of that, there's this strong desire to control the outcome. Again, 80% just doesn't feel like it's good enough. As a micromanager, you have this strong urge to create an outcome that meets your excellent standards. And this need for control may be driven by the fear that your reputation could be tarnished. This need to control can also be driven by feelings of inferiority. They often deal with self-doubt. And so this sense of incompetence is then projected onto others, which again then leads to this lack of trust because how we feel about ourselves is then projected onto others. So therefore, they're not competent and then I can't trust them. It also then drives this need for control. And this sense of inferiority, these feelings of inferiority may also be the driving force behind perfectionism. It's almost like overcompensating, right? Inside we feel like less than and not competent and not deserving or not qualified. And so to overcome that and to ensure that no one else would ever think that of us from the outside, to hold up this mask, we have this strong drive to create a perfect outcome. It is this desire, this effort to hold up that mask to the outside world. And then this desire to deliver deliver a perfect outcome, again, makes us want to have more control. And you can see how this actually loops back to the fear that our, our reputation will be tarnished. So control, trust, fear, and the feelings of inferiority, those all go hand in hand and one sort of reinforces the other. On top of that, when we're actually managed by someone else who's a micromanager, that can induce more stress on us and then this stress can create higher anxiety and this higher anxiety can turn someone who might have been on the edge of being a micromanager, but still navigating well, like knowing when to step back and when to let go, even though it might have been a pretty conscious effort, but they did okay. But then when they're pushed into this stressful situation because either something really serious and heavy is going on at work or because they're now managed by another micromanager, this additional stress now leads to higher anxiety and that increased anxiety pushes them overboard when now they're falling into those patterns of micromanaging. So again, I'm going to pause for a moment to give another recap because I think Oftentimes, this root cause is completely overlooked. If you Google how not to micromanage, all you see is these little tips and tricks. And I'm going to get to those too, don't worry. But you see all these little behavioral shifts and things that you can do to not micromanage. But that's such a surface level approach because it completely ignores and neglects the driving forces, what like actually motivates a micromanager. Why is it that they do what they do? Again, it's not because they get up and choose to be a micromanager. So in order to sustainably change that behavior and get someone out of micromanaging and change their perspective and their leadership style, we cannot just look at the top of the iceberg. We have to go to the bottom of the iceberg to see what's actually driving the behavior, change those beliefs and those perspectives. So then those new behaviors, those tips actually fall in place a lot easier and they will be more sustainable. So through working with people who have micromanagement tendencies, we are always able to bring it back to trust, control, fear and feelings of inferiority. So once we can address trust and figure out what's behind the lack of trust, we can look at control and where does control, the need for control really come from. We can talk about this feeling of inferiority and self-doubt and work on building the confidence. We can also talk about the fear aspect, like what they're fearing in terms of anxiety, stress, their reputation, perceptions by others and so forth. That's when we really uncover what's truly going on and that's how we create lasting behavioral change when I work with a micromanager. Now if all this resonated and you understand that micromanagement and the root cause of that goes steeper. It's not that surface level. I know that you're probably eager to still get some tips and tricks. So let's get to that. The first thing to do, uh, if you notice you have some micromanagement tendencies, is to actually look at the cost and the benefits. What is at stake? When you go through life and you're just sort of reacting in the moment, never really stepping back to look at what is it that I'm creating here? What's the consequence of this behavior? It'll be so much harder to actually change. So this is step number one. Get really clear on what's the cost. And that includes asking some people for feedback if you don't already feel like you've gotten enough feedback. You could ask trusted people, people that you might have worked with in other companies or peers and say, Hey, I notice that sometimes I have a tendency to micromanage. Like, what's the impact this has on you when I do XYZ? If you have a good relationship with your boss, ask them specifically, hey, I want to get really clear on the cost of this. Like, what is actually at stake? And, And understand that your career trajectory will be heavily impacted if you're a micromanager. You will not be offered the opportunities that you would if you can get over this. You're not going to grow your team as fast. You're not going to be able to accomplish ambitious goals. Because micromanagement will hold you back. So get really clear on what's actually at stake. Financially, career trajectory, your reputation, your relationships, the projects that you're currently dealing with, frustration, stress level, all of that. Write it down. And then the impact on your team and on other people really really go deep here and this may hurt but that is part of the process and then on the other side also get clear on the benefits like you're doing this because there's some kind of payoff anything that we do as humans we do get a payoff the payoff may simply be here that it gives you a sense of comfort this exuding this control gives you some certainty it may also give you a level of significance when you're the one making the decisions, when you're the one choosing the options, when you're the one giving feedback. So what is actually the payoff that you're getting? What is the benefit of you micromanaging? So that is step number one. Do not skip this step. If you want to overcome micromanagement tendencies or you want to help someone else, this is step number one. Step number two is to actually clarify responsibilities. So I want you to draw a clear line with what is it that you are doing and what you should be doing and what is it that your team members are doing. A clear cut line and that includes if I'm CC'd on an email and the email is actually addressed to a team member, I will not jump in to answer that. I will also not be the one who sets up calendar invites. So get really clear on this. And sometimes you might have built in certain patterns or expectations with team members that need to be reversed. So if people on your team expect you to remind them of deadlines. That's going to hold you back. That is not an effective pattern. So go back and say you're managing your own deadlines. Let's get really clear on what I'm responsible for and what you're responsible for. All emails addressed to you. I'm no longer going to respond. All deadlines that are related to the jobs, the tasks that you're assigned to, you're going to manage the deadlines. I'm not going to send reminders anymore. So let them know that you're making some changes. Get crystal clear, not just on what they're doing in terms of the actual what, the task, but also how they're supposed to manage it, how they should check in with you, how often they should check in with you, how they should ask for feedback, what they need to ask for feedback on and what not. Maybe in the past they've CC'd you on emails because you once asked and now you realize maybe I shouldn't be CC'd on those emails anymore. Let them know. Do not CC me on those emails anymore. So number one was do the cause-benefit analysis. Number two, clarify your responsibilities and draw a clear line and then stick to it. Keep that line top of mind because in the moment you might feel this urge to jump in and help out. Don't do it. Let people on your team not just own the problem, but let them own the problem and the solution. You delegate a problem or a task, they own that task and they own the solution. They own the fixing. And that brings me to point number three. Your employees may struggle at times, and it would feel really good to jump in and solve the issue. And that's what you've done in the past. But then again, that your employees perceive as micromanaging. So you have to get comfortable letting them struggle for a little bit, letting them figure things out, letting them fail maybe, or maybe even write something that has a typo or, or isn't exactly up to your standards. Maybe it's only 80% of what you would have done, but let them learn. Let them fail if not much is at stake. And again, I call this smart failing. I'm not saying let them fail and drop the ball with a client and it's high risk and huge consequences. That is not what I'm suggesting. But if the consequences are really minimal, it's a low risk task. Let them go with it. Let the 80% be okay. Understand that failing and struggle is really the most effective way to learn. It is how you grow and it is how they grow. Them doing what they already know how to do is not learning because they've already known how to do it. That's why they did it that way. So the moment that we learn is always, and the biggest learning curve always happens when we struggle, when we're challenged, and maybe when we failed. So get comfortable that that's just part of the job. Be okay with the 80% at times. Evaluate the risks. And hold yourself back. Let them figure things out on their own when the risk is small or even acceptable. Make that judgment call. There is this equation that I use a lot with my clients. It's an equation that I learned from Marshall Goldsmith, who is a leadership author and expert uh, in a thought leader in the field of leadership development. And the equation is the following. The success of a project equals The quality of the idea multiplied by the commitment to execution. So the success of a project is not just dependent on how good the idea is and the quality of the plan. It is multiplied by someone's commitment to executing. Now, whenever we're executing someone else's idea, we're always a little bit less committed than if we were to execute our own ideas. So as a micromanager, what you're doing is you're boosting up the quality of the idea, likely if you're really good at the specific task, right? So you're stepping in because you, at least you think that you know better. In your mind, you have the better idea. But when you do this, you have to know that at the same time, the commitment to execution drops. And so in order to boost the success of the project, you have to keep in mind this equation. Is it now worthwhile for me to jump in or will me jumping in boost the quality a little bit, but I'm going to reduce the commitment to execution more so than I actually increase the quality. So this idea of constantly giving feedback to people, yeah, you might like gradually increase this quality, but you're definitely disengaging the employee who's supposed to execute. And as a result, the success of your project drops. According to Marshall Goldsmith, when he says he introduces this concept and this equation, the CEOs that he coaches usually decide, in about 50% of the cases, not to share their idea, not to increase the quality of the idea, because they recognize they would reduce the commitment to execution. So it is about a 50 50 decision on whether or not to insert themselves in the conversation or to withhold and let the team member run with it themselves. So again, The success of the project equals the quality of the idea or the plan multiplied by the commitment to execution. So keep that in mind. And that also means that sometimes you have to be okay with 80%. You have to let go. Embrace the fact that each person on the team is an individual with their own preferences and strength and that there is not one way to do it. There are many different ways to get to the outcome and small things like a typo or a phrasing of a sentence is not what's going to make or break the project. It's also not what's going to make or break your perception and your reputation in the organization. Now, the next suggestion is to actually identify the triggers. So reflect for a moment and think about where are instances where you tend to micromanage. What are those actual moments? Maybe it is when you notice someone hasn't responded to a Slack message in over an hour or two. Maybe it is when you review documents and you have this tendency to jump in and like rewrite emails or rewrite uh, sentences. Look for all those moments and then plan ahead what you're going to do instead. So knowing this now and you see, oh, I totally do this. Stop and figure out what you want to do instead. And don't just do this in your head. Actually write it down. So for example, next time I notice someone hasn't responded to a Slack message, I will not insert myself. Like I will not step in. Or next time I am CC'd, I will leave it up to my team member to respond. I can check in if I need to two days later and say, hey, I remember I was CC'd on this email can you confirm that you to handle this? If I really needed to, I could do that. But I'm not going to respond on behalf of someone else when it wasn't even addressed to me. And it's not my direct responsibility. Identify those moments. Plan ahead of what you're going to do instead. And then anticipate this is going to be uncomfortable. It's like wanting, it's, it's having an urge. It's having a desire to do something and then you can't do it because you know it wouldn't be the right thing to do. It's like i should be going to the gym but i'm i really just want to lay on the couch and watch tv but i know i planned ahead and so it even though it's uncomfortable i have to actually like get myself to go to the gym i'm gonna do it because that's what i plan to do anticipate this discomfort it's totally normal it's the way that we're all wired your brain is just doing its job and sending you a message because you're changing patterns and your brain loves patterns it doesn't like changing patterns So it's giving you all these reasons why you should keep doing what you're doing. It's going to provide you a bunch of arguments of why this time it's too risky to let go or why you have to correct this because otherwise someone is going to think poorly of you. It's going to tell you that if you don't help out, you're going to be delayed and then something dramatic is going to happen. That's just your brain doing your job. So it's going to feel uncomfortable. Stay in it. Execute as you planned ahead of time. Now, the last suggestion I have is about introducing new thoughts, like better, stronger beliefs, beliefs like the bottom of the iceberg that will actually help you to get more comfortable with letting go of control and trusting other people more, boosting your confidence. So thoughts that you want to practice and keep telling yourself and remind yourself of, you might want to put a sticky note on your desktop to say everything will be okay. I'm okay and they are okay. 80% 80% is good enough or my focus is strategic work or I am trusting my team members. A different approach is a equally good approach. Tell yourself the thoughts over and over again. It, it literally is like going to the gym and lifting the dumbbell. You have to practice and practice so that these thoughts become stronger and it starts becoming your default thinking. So what are the thoughts that you can start telling yourself, introducing to your brain that will create the foundation for more effective habits for you to transition out of this phase of micromanaging and inhabiting strong effective leadership skills and and to become a leader that extends trust to others someone who is able to let go of control someone who has this inner sense of confidence and it's okay with people doing it their way People on your team may be even doing it better than you are doing it. All that is okay. There's nothing that you need to prove, no reputation that you need to manage. You are good enough already. That's how you can build the sense of trust. You can let go of control. You're not acting out of fear and you have really healthy self-confidence. Those are the key ingredients to help you become an effective leader who's no longer being perceived as a micromanager. Now, you listen to the very end of this episode, maybe for a reason. Maybe you notice some of those tendencies yourself. Maybe you worry if or whether or not you have those tendencies and you want to figure out is there something there that you should be aware of? Because you want to make sure that you're not micromanaging. Or maybe you're dealing with a micromanager at work in one way or another. If any of this is true and you want to learn more how I work with people like you and help them build sustainable, lasting change, and develop healthy leadership habits and let go of any micromanagement tendencies, then let's chat. Visit RamonaShaw.com forward slash apply. And I'm going to include the link in the show notes as well. So we can talk, I can get to know you, and you can learn more of what working with me directly would look like. That's it for now. I'll talk to you next week in another episode of the Manager Track Podcast. Bye for now. If you love this show, then you love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at ramonashaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to ramonashaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.